The United States is preparing for yet another war. The U.S. military launched numerous airstrikes this January targeting Yemen, and the Washington Post reported that the U.S. government is planning what it refers to as a sustained military campaign targeting Yemen's de facto government, and they referred to this as an open-ended operation. That is to say, this is a war without a deadline. Now, there's a lot of context that I need to provide to understand what's happening here. But the first thing that I should emphasize is that this is not the beginning of the U.S. war on Yemen. The U.S. has been waging a war against Yemen since 2015 to try to overthrow a revolutionary government led by a movement called Ansarallah, which is often referred to as the so-called Houthis in the West. They came to power in what they refer to as a revolution on September 21st, 2014. And they overthrew a dictator who was running Yemen named Abd Rabu Mansour Hadi, who was backed by the United States and largely seen as a puppet of Saudi Arabia. And politically, there are many similarities between the Yemeni revolution of 2014 and the Iranian revolution of 1979. The Western powers and Israel have tried to portray the Yemeni movement, Ansarallah, or the so-called Houthis, as supposed Iranian proxies. But they are not proxies. They are indigenous Yemenis. And while they do share a lot of the Islamic nationalist, anti-colonialist ideology of Iran or Hezbollah in Lebanon, they are not proxies. And they have created a de facto government where the vast majority of the Yemeni population lives. And in response to this revolution in Yemen, Saudi Arabia, in March of 2015, launched a brutal bombing campaign targeting Yemen. And with steadfast U.S. support, Saudi Arabia spent years relentlessly bombing Yemen, destroying civilian areas in a desperate attempt to overthrow this revolutionary government. According to the United Nations, 377,000 Yemenis lost their lives in this war that the United States and Saudi Arabia waged against Yemen between 2015 and the end of 2021. Several years ago, I was doing constant reporting on this war in Yemen, given the fact that according to the United Nations, it was the largest humanitarian crisis in the world with tens of millions of Yemenis on the verge of starvation. And I should emphasize that Yemen is the poorest country in the so-called Middle East, or a better term is West Asia. Back in 2017, the UN Undersecretary General for Humanitarian Affairs and Emergency Relief Coordinator, Martin Griffiths, he declared that Yemen was the largest humanitarian crisis in the world, with two-thirds of the population, nearly 19 million people, in need of aid. However, today, this war that the U.S. is waging on Yemen is quite different in that Saudi Arabia is no longer involved. In the previous phase of this war, the United States was using Saudi Arabia 
to relentlessly bomb civilian areas in Yemen to try to destroy the revolutionary government. And the New York Times published an op-ed by the New York Times editorial board back in 2016, acknowledging that, quote, America is complicit in the carnage in Yemen. This article admitted a crucial fact that the so-called Saudi-led coalition waging war on Yemen, quote, would be grounded if Washington withheld its support. That is to say that the only reason that Saudi Arabia was able to wage war on Yemen and kill nearly 400,000 people is because the United States was supporting it. And what's different today is that the U.S. is now waging war on Yemen directly, cutting out the middleman. And in fact, Saudi Arabia is publicly urging caution. According to Arab News, which is a Saudi state media outlet, the Saudi foreign ministry, it said that it had great concern when the U.S. launched airstrikes in Yemen this January. And Saudi Arabia called for, quote, self-restraint and avoiding escalation. So what is going on here? Why is Saudi Arabia urging restraint? Why is it not supporting this war on Yemen? Why is the United States planning what it calls an open-ended war on Yemen, the poorest country in the region? Today, I'm going to be explaining the complicated geopolitics and economic reasons behind this conflict, which go pretty deep. And I think this is very important to do because the Western media is not actually educating people on what is going on. And the corporate media is using misleading coverage to try to manufacture consent for yet another U.S. war. This conflict also reflects the growing geopolitical changes we're seeing in the increasingly multipolar world and the fact that China is now the largest trading partner, not only of Saudi Arabia, but of many countries in the so-called Middle East, in West Asia. And it also reflects the changes in the United States, which has become one of the world's largest oil producers and no longer is as dependent on importing oil from Saudi Arabia. So Saudi Arabia and many countries in the region are increasingly looking eastward toward Asia, which has become the main market for oil and gas from the Persian Gulf region. And furthermore, in 2023, China negotiated a geopolitical game changer, which was normalization of relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And now Saudi Arabia and Iran have both officially joined the BRICS bloc with Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Meanwhile, this war that the U.S. is waging on Yemen is an extension of the war that Israel is waging on Gaza. And as I explained in a previous video, which I will link to in the description below, the U.S. has not only been bombing Yemen, but also been bombing Iraq and Syria, and the U.S. is militarily occupying Iraq and Syria in violation of international law. Furthermore, Israel has not only been bombing Gaza, but Israel has also been bombing Syria and Lebanon. And the U.S. and Israel are both threatening 
Iran. So this war in Yemen is symptomatic of a massive geopolitical crisis that draws together the increasingly multipolar world and the competition between the US and China, but also this regional conflict that is ultimately all based on the Israeli war on Gaza. And even mainstream media outlets in the West are acknowledging that the global South, which represents the vast majority of the world population, more than 80% of the world, the global South is rebelling against the United States and the Western order led by the United States and supporting a case that South Africa has presented in the International Court of Justice, the top United Nations judicial authority, which officially accuses Israel of genocide on the world stage. Now, if you want to actually understand what's happening in Yemen, there are several myths that I need to dispel that are constantly spread by the Western media. Now, if you only read the New York Times and tried to understand what was happening, you would not think that the U.S. is waging war against Yemen and its government, but rather that the U.S. is only attacking the so-called Houthi militia. However, this is completely misleading. And repeatedly, I have recommended a short article that was published by the very mainstream establishment think tank in Washington, the Brookings Institution, which in 2023 published a research paper, and it acknowledged that the so-called Houthis actually lead the government where the vast majority of the Yemeni population live. Now, I should point out that the, the, the term Houthi is a disparaging term used by the West and opponents. They're really called Ansarallah, like Hezbollah in Lebanon. And Ansarallah has created a government where between 70 to 80 percent of the Yemeni population live. And according to this research paper published by this mainstream Washington think tank by a former CIA analyst, he acknowledged that the, this is, I'm reading from his research paper, quote, the Houthis have created a functioning government, which includes representatives of other groups. And he also admitted that Ansar Allah has its origins in the grassroots in Yemen, opposing the U.S. invasion of Iraq, opposing U.S. interventionist and neo-colonial policies in the region. And he acknowledged that Ansar Allah got a lot of support in Yemen because of the brutal U.S.-Saudi war waged on their country, and he acknowledged that, quote, airstrikes, blockades, and intentional mass starvation are the characteristics of a war the United States has supported. So if you go back to this Washington Post article, which says that the U.S. is preparing a so-called sustained campaign against the so-called Houthi militia, what you actually can understand given this context is that the U.S. is preparing for a war against the Yemeni government where 80% of Yemen's population lives. This article reveals that the United States is carrying out, quote, near daily operations to destroy Houthi radars, missiles, and drones. However, when they say Houthi, they mean Yemeni government. The U.S. is attacking Yemeni government radars, missiles and drones and the article acknowledged that israel is bombing the syrian capital damascus so the u.s and israel are at war with numerous countries all across the region now the washington post claims 
that the Houthis are one powerful faction in Yemen's long-running civil war. However, again, as that Brookings article showed, this is not true. They are not simply one powerful faction in the civil war. They are leading the government where 80% of the Yemeni population lives. Now, the Washington Post says that the, that, that the so-called Houthis are preparing their campaign in the Red Sea as a means of pressuring Israel. This is yet another euphemism. Yemen has made it very clear in public statements by government leaders that they will stop attacking ships in the Red Sea when Israel stops its genocidal war on Gaza, period. It's that simple. Western governments act like the so-called Houthis are a crazy out-of-control militia and they're just randomly attacking ships for no reason. They have made it as clear as day. This is an attempt to try to stop Israel's genocide and many countries in the global south have supported South Africa's case in the International Court of Justice accusing Israel of genocide. But the United States and a few European countries have continued supporting Israel in this brutal war as it has killed tens of thousands of civilians. The U.S. is sending billions of dollars worth of weapons. And now the U.S. is preparing a war on Yemen in order to continue supporting Israel's genocide in Gaza. It's that simple. Ironically, U.S. state media has indirectly admitted this. Voice of America, VOA, which is a U.S. government propaganda outlet, published an article in January titled, Houthis won't target Chinese-Russian ships in Red Sea. And it quoted leaders of the Yemeni government, the de facto government led by Ansarallah, who said that the shipping lanes in the Red Sea and around Yemen are safe to ships from China and Russia as long as vessels are not connected with Israel. Yemen is not attacking random ships for no reason. It is attacking ships that are headed toward Israel and providing supplies to Israel as it's engaged in genocide against the Palestinian people. If Israel stops its genocide, then Yemen will stop attacking the ships in the Red Sea that are headed toward Israel. And if the U.S. stops supporting Israel and sending it billions of dollars of weapons, then Israel will stop waging this genocidal war, and then Yemen will stop attacking the ships in the Red Sea. So ultimately, it's the United States that is responsible for this crisis. Now, Yemen's attempt to blockade Israel is already having significant economic consequences because off of the coast of Yemen, in the south, in the Gulf of Aden, connecting to the Red Sea, is one of the most important geostrategic choke points in the world, which is called the Bab al-Mandab Strait. And the U.S. government's Energy Information Administration, the EIA, published an article back in 2019 in which it referred to this as a strategic route and a choke point, and it noted that most exports of petroleum and natural gas from the Persian Gulf that translate through the Suez Canal, that is, they go through the Red Sea, they pass through both the Bab al-Mandab and also the Strait of Hormuz. The Strait of Hormuz is located in the Persian Gulf, and Iran, if it wanted, could shut off the Strait of Hormuz, which the U.S. government's Energy Information Administration referred to as the most important oil transit choke point. And 
they pub they republished this article the USEIA republished this article in November with the ongoing war that Israel's waging on Gaza which was a clear sign that they were warning that something like this could happen and it could have severe geopolitical and economic consequences and the USEIA noted that the Strait of Hormuz is the world's most important oil choke point where large volumes of oil flow and as of 2022 21% of global petroleum liquids consumption relied on oil flowing through the Strait of Hormuz. Now, Yemen cannot shut down the Strait of Hormuz, although Iran can, but Yemen can shut down the Bab al-Mandab and prevent ships from going into the Red Sea and through Egypt's Suez Canal into the Mediterranean and to provide supplies to countries like Israel. And this is exactly what has happened. So now in response, many shipping companies around the world are avoiding the Red Sea and instead they are sending their ships from East Asia and South Asia. They are sending them south around Africa, around the Cape of Good Hope, and going through, through the western part of Africa up into Western Europe and into the Mediterranean. The problem with this is it adds nearly 10 days to the normal shipping route that went through the Red Sea and through the Suez. When shipping companies were using the Red Sea and Suez Canal route, it was about 18.5 thousand kilometers, and it took about 25, 26 days on average. Whereas now, large container vessels that are traveling around the Cape of Good Hope, around Southern Africa, it's around 25,000 kilometers, and it takes about 34 days on average. Now, this is not the end of the world. It's still possible to send these products. However, this is going to have a few significant consequences. One, because of rising transit times, that also increased the costs of sending goods on these big container ships. Two, because of the, the violence in the Red Sea, this has meant that there has been a massive explosion in insurance costs which in turn increases the costs of the products that they are shipping, which is contributing further to inflation. So many countries in recent years have been dealing with inflation problems, and a big reason for that was because of supply chain issues due to the lockdowns during the pandemic. Well, now, just as the world was largely recovering from inflation, we are very likely going to see more inflation due to the rising costs and times of shipping and because of this, these geopolitical crises in the region and let's not forget that many countries have elections this year, 2024, and especially in the United States, there's going to be a very significant presidential election. So if inflation starts rising again, it's going to hurt all of the incumbent governments, and especially the U.S. government, which is now very concerned about the possibility of rising shipping costs leading to more inflation, and therefore the U.S. government is threatening Yemen and waging war on Yemen. Israel has three main ports. In the north, you have the Haifa port. In the center of Israel, you have the port of Ashdod, 
Both of those are on the Mediterranean. And in the south, Israel has the port of Ilat. Now, the port of Ilat is not as important as the two Mediterranean ports, but due to the Yemeni blockade of the Red Sea, basically all traffic going to the port of Ilat has shut down. And now Israel is entirely reliant on imports from the Mediterranean through the ports of Ashdod and Haifa. And if Yemen can shut off the ships that are going through the Red Sea and through Egypt's Suez Canal into the Mediterranean and over to Israel's port of Ashdod and Haifa port, then Yemen, it can try to block supplies to Israel to stop its genocidal war in Gaza, or at the very least, Yemen's blockade can significantly increase the costs of ships that are sending supplies to Israel, which could cause economic problems in Israel and prevent, at least in some ways, prevent the government from having as many resources to carry out this genocidal war against the Palestinian people. So Yemen is hitting Israel and also the United States by extension where it hurts most, which is in its economy. The U.S. has illegally imposed unilateral sanctions on many countries representing more than one quarter of the world population. So Washington clearly has no problem using economic warfare, but now the United States is furious because Yemen is trying to use economic warfare as well to stop an ongoing genocide. So this brings me back to the article in the Washington Post revealing that the U.S. is preparing an extended war on Yemen. Now, this report is basically just a U.S. government press release. The entire article is based on quotes from anonymous U.S. government officials, but it reveals that the U.S. strategy is to erode Yemen's high-level military capability enough to curtail its ability to target shipping in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden. However, there's a big problem. Biden, the U.S. president, was asked in a press conference if the previous U.S. attacks on Yemen had stopped and the U.S. president said, quote, are they stopping the Houthis? No. Will they continue? Yes. So it's an acknowledgement that thus far the U.S. attacks have not worked. So the U.S. is going to respond with more and more bombing. This might as well be the official slogan of the U.S. government. Have these wars stopped this conflict? No. Will they continue? Yes, because all the U.S. can do is wage war. Now, ironically, the Washington Post acknowledged in this report that by waging war on Yemen, this is undermining the U.S. government's attempt to refocus foreign policy on Russia and China. So the U.S. is having to move away from the new Cold War it's trying to wage against Moscow and Beijing and instead refocus on these endless wars in West Asia. Now, what's funny about this article is, again, it's basically a U.S. government press release. And the Washington Post wrote, Officials say they don't expect that the operation will stretch on for years, like previous U.S. wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, or Syria. But this is always what the U.S. government says. When the U.S. invaded Iraq, this is exactly what the U.S. said. This war is not going to last years, and it's, still it's technically still continuing today. As I explained in a previous video, the U.S. is still militarily occupying Iraq and bombing Iraqi security forces despite the Iraqi government repeatedly calling for the U.S. occupiers to leave. Now, in this Washington Post article, the unnamed U.S. government officials acknowledged that they can identify no end date or provide an estimate for when the Yemeni military capability will be adequately diminished. So 
It's an open-ended war. It's going to keep going on and on. And in addition to the military side of the war, there's also a political side and an economic side. So the Biden administration has reimposed the so-called terrorist label on Yemen's so-called Houthi movement, on Ansar Allah. Now, ironically, it was Donald Trump, his government, who originally had put this so-called terrorist label on Ansar Allah, because, of course, Trump was very closely allied with Saudi Arabia. And Biden claimed during his presidential campaign that he was going to reverse that and he was not going to embrace Saudi Arabia like Trump had done. But now we see that Biden is continuing Trump's policies and Biden has restored Trump era sanctions targeting Yemen, which once again is the poorest country in West Asia. And now with the sanctions and the so-called terrorist label, it's going to make it very difficult for the United Nations and international humanitarian organizations to send aid to Yemen, which means that this is going to probably lead to many thousands of deaths due to completely preventable causes because of this U.S. war on Yemen, because it's going to be very difficult to send humanitarian aid to people who desperately need it in Yemen. Now, in response to this U.S. terrorism designation, Yemen's real parliament, where which governs 80% of the population, passed a decision that officially declared the United States, the United Kingdom, and Israel to be the top terrorist entities on Earth. And by the way, what's really funny is the Washington Post chose for the header image on this article that I've been discussing today, it shows it an image of a Yemeni man at a protest, and he has a sign in Arabic that says, Amrika Om Al-Irhab, which means in Arabic, the United States is the mother of terrorism. And of course, for the Yemeni people, the United States is the mother of all terrorism because as the United Nations reported, between 2015 and the end of 2021, the U.S.-Saudi war killed 377,000 Yemenis. However, at the bottom of this Washington Post article, there was a very important paragraph that I want to read from because it highlights a very crucial factor that is not being discussed enough. And that is that, according to the Washington Post, quote, America's most powerful Gulf partners have withheld their backing for the American operation. The Prime Minister of Qatar, a key U.S. ally in the Gulf, has warned that Western strikes would not halt the violence and could fuel regional instability. And the leader of Qatar said, quote, we need to address the central issue, which is Gaza, in order to get everything else diffused. This is so important because he's acknowledging that if Israel stops its genocide, then Yemen will stop attacking ships headed toward Israel in the Red Sea, and the entire conflict will end and there will be peace. But of course, the U.S. doesn't want peace. The U.S. is sponsoring Israel as it's carrying out this genocidal war. So it's ultimately the United States that is responsible for this entire conflict. And now Washington is escalating it further with its war on Yemen. Now, for me, as someone who reports on geopolitics, I think this is one of the most interesting details in this story, how Saudi Arabia one of the longtime historic U.S. allies is now urging caution and does not want the war on Yemen to expand. Why is that? Well, I think it's very easy to explain. 
Earlier, I cited an article in the New York Times by the New York Times editorial board from 2016 titled America's Complicit in the Carnage in Yemen. It acknowledged that Saudi Arabia had no concern over killing innocent civilians in Yemen. They were bombing civilian areas like hospitals and they were committing war crimes. And the article acknowledged that the Obama administration had sold Saudi Arabia $110 billion worth of weapons and the U.S. government was supplying Saudi Arabia with indispensable assistance like intelligence, in-flight refueling of aircraft, and helping to identify targets. It quoted a U.S. Senator, Chris Murphy, who said, quote, there is an American imprint on every civilian life lost in Yemen. That is nearly 400,000 civilian lives lost. And the New York Times admitted that Saudi Arabia's so-called coalition would be grounded if Washington withheld its support. So this was always fundamentally a U.S. war. It was Saudi Arabia technically bombing Yemen, but it was with U.S. weapons, U.S. missiles, U.S. planes, U.S. intelligence, U.S. targeting assistance, and U.S. political support. However, things changed in 2022 because Yemen, Ansar Allah's government that it leads in Yemen, developed a sufficient deterrence to stop the Saudi attacks because Yemen developed the capabilities to attack Saudi oil facilities. This was in 2022, and it was a serious game changer because previously, from 2015 until 2022, Saudi Arabia, with U.S. support, was constantly bombing Yemen repeatedly, and there were basically no significant attacks on Saudi infrastructure. But Yemen found a way to hit Saudi Arabia where it really hurt, which is in the oil sector. And of course, the Saudi economy is entirely reliant on oil exports. And starting in 2022, that led to a ceasefire in Yemen. And there has been a de facto ceasefire in Yemen from 2022 until Israel's genocidal war on Gaza led Yemen to launch this blockade on Israel in solidarity with the Palestinian people. This is one of the most important reasons why Saudi Arabia is not getting involved in this U.S. war on Yemen, this in this phase of the war. And it also explains why Saudi Arabia has refused to join the so-called coalition that the U.S. is building with a bunch of European countries, not countries actually in the region. The only country in the region that joined the anti-Yemen coalition built by the U.S. is Bahrain, which is not a significant power in the region. Now, Foreign Policy Magazine is normally just a mouthpiece for the U.S. government, but they did publish a very interesting article that explains this. It's titled, Why Saudi Arabia is Staying on the Sidelines in the Red Sea Conflict. It explained that a Western offensive on Yemen is precisely the opposite of what Riyadh wants as it conducts a delicate peace negotiation with the Houthi leadership to extricate itself from Yemen and Saudi hopes permanently protect itself from cross-border attacks. Therefore, Saudi Arabia has chosen to stay out of the conflict and lines of communication between Saudi Arabia and the Houthis are staying open as Riyadh avoids overtly siding with Washington, lest it become the target of attacks. Of course, Yemen cannot launch attacks on U.S. oil refineries on the other side of the world, but it can easily launch attacks on Saudi oil refineries. This article pointed out that in 2019, 
Yemen launched attacks on Saudi Aramco, the oil giant, and this was a turning point. Yemen targeted two major Saudi oil installations and forced the kingdom to temporarily shut down half of its oil production. And then, of course, in 2022, Yemen launched more attacks, which devastated Saudi's oil capacity, and it pressured them to agree to a temporary ceasefire. Another very significant factor is that these days, Saudi Arabia is keeping its dialogue open with Iran. This point cannot be stressed enough. In March 2023, China announced a historic breakthrough negotiating peace between Iran and Saudi Arabia. And now Riyadh does not want a new conflict with Tehran. In fact, as of January 2024, both Iran and Saudi Arabia are both officially members of the extended BRICS bloc, along with Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And other countries that now have joined BRICS include Ethiopia and Egypt and also the United Arab Emirates. And these are all countries that geopolitically are influenced by the crisis going on in the region and can benefit from more stability in the region and not more conflict, which is what the U.S. and Israel are fueling, whereas China is trying to broker peace and use diplomacy instead of war. Now, historically, Saudi Arabia has been a very close U.S. ally. And in fact, going back to February 14th, 1945, when U.S. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt famously met with the Saudi king, there was essentially an agreement in which the U.S. would provide security to Saudi Arabia, and in return, Saudi Arabia would provide oil for the United States. However, several significant geopolitical changes have happened since then, and Saudi Arabia has been leaning more and more toward the east. Now, of course, Saudi Arabia is not going to simply ally with China and Russia. That's a very simplistic view. Instead, Saudi Arabia is increasingly maintaining a kind of non-aligned foreign policy, and it's very easy to explain why. The first and most important reason is simply economic. China has become the largest trading partner of most of the countries in the so-called Middle East, that is West Asia, and also North Africa. And especially for Saudi Arabia, China is the number one exporter to Saudi Arabia, and it's the number one importer of Saudi exports, which is largely oil. But it's not just Saudi Arabia. China has become a very significant trading partner for most of the countries in the region. And in fact, as a top U.S. diplomat acknowledged in an article that, you know, complaining, scared about China's growing economic influence this January, China is the top trading partner to more than 120 countries. A top U.S. diplomat acknowledged that in an article at the U.S. government-backed Wilson Center. And it shows that China's economic influence is growing. And why would 120 countries that trade more with China than the U.S., why would they sacrifice relations with their largest trading partner on behalf of Washington? I mean, it doesn't make sense. It's economically suicidal. But this is what the United States expects many of these countries to do. This is particularly clear if you look at a graph of Saudi Arabia's external trade with the U.S., the EU, and China. 
you can see that as China has massively developed economically in recent decades and become the world's industrial superpower, China is importing more and more Saudi energy. And the U.S. at the same time has become one of the world's leading oil producers and is actually importing less and less oil from Saudi Arabia. So why would Saudi Arabia sacrifice its relations with the most important trading partner it has on behalf of the U.S.? This is one of the most important geopolitical facts that is not stressed enough. Not enough people know that U.S. imports of oil peaked in 2005. The U.S. has become one of the world's top three producers of oil, consistently vying for the first place with Saudi Arabia and Russia. The U.S. is one of the world's oil superpowers. And you can look at a graph of U.S. oil production imports and exports from the U.S. government's Energy Information Administration, the EIA. And you can see that U.S. exports skyrocketed in the 2000s. And this, of course, came at a time when U.S. oil production skyrocketed in the 2000s. And of course, as U.S. oil exports massively increased and U.S. oil production massively increased, it makes sense that U.S. oil imports significantly decreased throughout the 2000s. Now, why was this? What happened? It was because of the shale oil boom in the United States in the 2000s, in particular under the Barack Obama administration, U.S. oil exploration and drilling massively expanded with access to shale. And Obama boasted about this back in 2018. When I was working at the Real News Network, I published an article and a video about this back in 2018 titled Obama tells Wall Street to thank him for making them so much money. And I looked at an event with many bankers and oil companies that Obama spoke at in 2018, and Obama boasted of turning the United States into the world's biggest oil producer. And he said, that was me, people. Of course, this is deeply ironic because Obama claims to care about climate change, but he actually helped contribute to significant climate change and environmental destruction. And here's this video clip of Obama boasting of making the U.S. the world's largest oil producer. And he also boasts of making Wall Street richer. You know, I, I know we're an oil country and uh, we need American energy. And, and by the way, uh, American energy production, uh, you wouldn't always know it. Uh, uh, but, you know, it went up every year I was president. Um, and, you know, that whole suddenly America's like the biggest oil producer and the biggest guy. Uh, that was me, people. I just want you to. So, so, uh, <laughs> it's a little like, you know, sometimes you go to Wall Street and folks would be grumbling about anti-business. I said, have you checked where your stocks were when I came into office and where they are now? What? What are you talking? What are you complaining about? Just say thank you, please. So the U.S. has become one of the world's leading oil producers. It's now exporting oil. It's no longer importing as much as it needed in the past, which means that Saudi Arabia is no longer as important for the U.S. economically, although Saudi Arabia is still important in terms of oil prices in the global market because Saudi Arabia is the de facto leader of OPEC, 
the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. And if Saudi Arabia significantly increases its oil production, it can crash global oil prices and vice versa. If it significantly cuts production, it can increase oil prices. And this leads to another reason why U.S.-Saudi relations have deteriorated in recent years. And that's because Russia has become a de facto member of OPEC, which is now the extended OPEC+. Plus. And Russia and Saudi Arabia, which historically had been longtime rivals, especially during the Soviet Union, in which the Soviet Union for a long time had no diplomatic relations formally with Saudi Arabia and treated Saudi Arabia as a U.S. colony, essentially. But things have shifted quite drastically. And now Saudi Arabia and Russia, in some cases, have coordinated in oil output in order to maintain high oil prices and global markets, which has also contributed to inflation. And then there are other political factors, like, for instance, the Obama administration negotiated the Iran nuclear deal, and that angered Saudi Arabia at the time. And then, of course, Donald Trump came in and he unilaterally tore up the Iran nuclear deal, the JCPOA, in violation of international law. So U.S. policy is all over the place. It's a complete disaster. But the point is that these political conflicts, along with, for instance, the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, who was a longtime CIA asset, which also angered the United States, all of these political and economic factors have come together, and they mean that Saudi Arabia has become more non-aligned. Again, it's not going to simply just join Russia and China. It's still very heavily dependent in terms of its security on the United States. Saudi Arabia still hosts numerous U.S. military bases, and the United Arab Emirates also is still allied with the U.S. and relies heavily on the U.S. military and collaborates with the U.S. military. So these countries are playing both sides in the increasing geopolitical conflict. But it explains why Saudi Arabia is neutral in this war that the U.S. is waging on Yemen. That is to say, this new phase of the war that the U.S. is waging on Yemen. And this is so deeply ironic because during his presidential campaign in 2020, Biden claimed that he was going to end the war in Yemen. Now, people have a very short attention span these days and a lot of political amnesia. They forget what happened just a few years ago. But I have been reporting on the war in Yemen constantly for many years. And during his presidential campaign, repeatedly, Biden claimed that he was going to end the war in Yemen. But when he actually came into office in January of 2021, Biden continued this bipartisan war that started under Obama. It was drastically expanded under Trump, who was very pro-Saudi. Trump, you know, he sword danced with Saudi Arabia and Trump drastically expanded the war on Yemen. The claim that Trump was an anti-war president is completely absurd. Trump was very responsible, guilty for killing many thousands of Yemeni civilians with this drastic expansion of the war. But then Biden comes in and he does the exact same thing. He continues this war that he claimed that he was going to end. And now here we are in 2024 and Biden is starting a whole new phase of the war on Yemen. And meanwhile, as I have documented in my reporting for years, the United Nations has repeatedly said that Yemen is facing the world's largest humanitarian crisis. By the way, this was back in 2016 and 2017. Now today, 
Israel has created the new largest humanitarian crisis in Gaza. As of 2024, Gaza is actually now the world's worst humanitarian crisis, according to the United Nations. I'm reading here from the website of the United Nations Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights. In a press release published January, quote, Gazans now make up 80% of all people facing famine or catastrophic hunger worldwide. They were described this as a, quote, unparalleled humanitarian crisis. And UN human rights experts warned, quote, currently every single person in Gaza is hungry. A quarter of the population are starving and struggling to find food and drinkable water and famine is imminent. Now, if you go back to 2017, the United Nations warned the exact same thing about Yemen. This is an article I published back when I worked at Alternet in January 2017. This was seven years ago, and the article I published was titled, U.S.-backed Saudi war in Yemen fuels largest food security emergency in the world. That was according to the United Nations and even U.S. government-backed famine monitors. So the United States is the world's leader in creating humanitarian crises. The U.S. created the worst humanitarian catastrophe on Earth in Yemen back several years ago, and now the United States is sponsoring Israel as it creates the world's worst humanitarian catastrophe on Earth in Gaza as it carries out genocide, and Israel has broken records, killing the largest number of U.N. workers Israel has killed the largest number of journalists. Israel has killed the largest number of children in a modern war in just 100 days, in such a short period of time. 25,000 Gazans have been killed in 100 days in a very conservative estimate, the vast majority civilians. And the U.S. is now, in response to that, the U.S. is starting a new phase of this war in Yemen in order to support Israel's genocide against the Palestinian people. I mean, this has been obvious for so long, but Gaza has made it clear. I should just point out that back in 2016, when I was working at Salon, the media outlet, I published an article back, this is again, eight years ago, titled Famine Looms in Yemen as US-backed Saudi bombing intentionally targets food production. And I looked at the evidence and I interviewed experts showing that Saudi Arabia, with U.S. support, was intentionally destroying agricultural sites and food storage facilities in Yemen, food processing facilities as well, in order to starve as many Yemenis as possible, to kill as many Yemenis as possible. The United States was sponsoring that genocidal war. This was several years ago. And now the United States is doing exactly the same in Gaza, sponsoring Israel's genocidal war in Palestine. So when Yemen's government officially declares the United States and Israel to be terrorist entities, this is exactly what the United States has been doing, is sponsoring genocide. And according to the United Nations, hundreds of thousands of Yemenis have died due to this ongoing U.S. war. In the description below, I will link to some of my reports and you can fact check me and you can find all of the sources from mainstream outlets and from the United Nations itself. You can fact check me and see that everything that I'm saying is firmly backed by evidence. On that note, I'm going to end here. I'm Ben Norton. This is Geopolitical Economy Report. 
I want to thank you for joining me for this very complicated topic. I wanted to try to adequately explain it. It's why it's very, this is a very long video, but I think it's important to provide all of this information because unless you just look through little pieces of information in the mainstream corporate media, you're not going to actually understand what's happening. It takes a lot of work to synthesize all of this information, and that's what I do here at Geopolitical Economy Report. I want to invite everyone to please like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. If you prefer a podcast version, you can listen to all of our videos. Just look up the Geopolitical Economy Report podcast. And please, again, like and subscribe and share our material. I want to thank everyone for joining me. I will see you next time.